Welcome to a different way of traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi there, I'm Lois Strachan, and you're listening to A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. In this episode, we're chatting to Cindy Jacobs, who's a visually impaired cyclist and triathlete, and she chats to us about some of her travels, particularly a recent trip that she took to the Himalayas. Then, in our Travel Tech Corner, we are meeting once again with Gerard and Zoe from Edit Microsystems in the Travel Tech Corner. But before we go and listen to hear about another device to help a traveler with a disability, let's find out more about Cindy Jacobs. Today on A Different Way of Traveling, we're chatting to Cindy Jacobs. Now, I've been chatting to a number of people over the course of doing these podcasts, and every now and then someone says to me, why haven't you chatted to Cindy? And it was greater when I actually met her at a meeting in Cape Town a few months ago, and I immediately pounced on the opportunity to invite her to be part of the podcast, and she's joining us today here from Cape Town as well. Cindy, how are you doing today? Hi, Lois. I'm well, thank you, and to yourself. I'm very well, thank you. And thanks so much for joining us on A Different Way of Traveling. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for the opportunity. Cindy, maybe we can start off by just asking you to just share a little bit of who you are, your story, the work you do, and the your some of your interests. Okay. Um, I'm a mother of two daughters, um, of which one, the eldest one is married and the youngest one is still living with me. Um, I work in employee health and wellness and occupational health and safety and transformation. And then I'm visually impaired. I have Stargard, <coughs> pardon, macular degeneration. I was diagnosed when I was 16 years old. I went to the school for the partially sighted in Pretoria, Prinzhof School, for two and a half years. And then I went to university, studied to BA psychology, um, honours in BA psychology, registered with the Health Professions Council as a psychometrist. A couple of years ago, I wanted to re-register, and they said, no, due to my sight, I can't. So that's why when I went over to wellness, and I look at people's well-being from a different perspective, and I really enjoy it. And um, I do a little bit of sports. I love cycling. It's my favorite sport. And um, I do triathlon, and um, so that, that is in my bucket list. And then I've got a few other things with regards to cycling in my bucket list I'd like to do still. And um, I think that is me in a nutshell. 
Well, if I'm correct, you do more than just a little bit of sport. In fact, you've done some rather remarkable sporting events that hopefully we're going to dig into a little bit as we chat on on the podcast today. Part of the um, one of the reasons that that I got to learn about you was through a friend of mine, Liesel van der Vestes, and and you and she did some cycling, just a short trip in the Himalayas recently, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that and the other traveling that you've done. So can you tell just tell us a little bit about the travels that you've done? Okay, um, I'm going to start with the Himalayas because <laughs> that was very very significant. Um, Flying with a tandem bicycle is not the easiest thing and to make sure that it is safe all the times is is quite a um, challenge. Um, I flew on my own, I met Liesl somewhere on the plane and then we met in Dubai again and then we were not sitting together. And um, But I fly with assistance, I have to say the airliners are extremely um, great when it comes to flying with assistance. I don't know if you've ever been to Dubai airport. It's like a city. It you is. have to come from this, this building to that building. So the um, assistant people took me from the one from arrivals to departure and they take my passport and then they make sure that I on time with my next connection flight and so. So that was really, really great. Um, when we got to Himalayas, we flew to Delhi, <clears throat> and um, then we had to take a bus to Manali, which was only going to be about eight hours long, but the week prior to our event, they had a lot of torrential rains and mudslides and things, so the bus ride took us 18 hours. Oh, my word. <laughs> yes, it, it was, and those roads were scary. It was on the mountains and they also travel on the left side of the road, like in South Africa. And I was sitting on the right side of the bus. And when I looked down, I just saw this cliff and this water and far, far, far down below. And I thought, oh, my word, we're on the wrong side of the road. And I looked to the other side. I said, no, we're not. We're in the middle of the road. Their roads are only like single lanes. <laughs> that, that was very, very scary. <clears throat> um when we had to get to the bus, the bus stopped about 100 meters from where we were waiting for the bus. How do we move our tra- tandem? So I paid a richer, loaded the tandem on top of the richer, and it took my tandem to the bus. So when, whenever you're out there, you always make a plan how to get this huge bike that it doesn't bend or get damaged to the safest part. And, you use alternative methods. You don't always stay with the convention. I think that, that was quite funny to see this bicycle with a tandem on top in a huge box. So, And um, we started off cycling on 6,000 feet above sea level. We did, we did the, the trip was supposed to be 11 days, but one day we did a double um, stage in one day because it wasn't snowing so we actually went much faster and we ended up in Kardung La 18,500 foot above sea level that is the highest point in the world that 
motor vehicle can drive. And we were the first South African ladies to do it on tandem. And I was the first visually impaired lady in South Africa to do it. And it was amazing. We traveled to different types of weather. One day it was like 30 degrees. The next night it was like minus five degrees, oh. sleeping in a tent. But the sleeping bags they gave us were awesome. And we ex they told us we can expect snow. Unfortunately, we didn't have snow, but we were cycling one morning and it was freezing cold. I think it was like seven or eight degrees. And as you came around the mountain, there was actually sleet blowing. And I thought, we've got snow, we've got snow. And as you went around the mountain to the other side, gone. So we stopped off of all this winter clothes in our back pockets and we continued cycling. But it was amazing. Um, there were some parts that looked south of like South Africa, except the mountains was much huger. And you don't realize how high you actually go because we were doing it so slowly because it wasn't a race, it was an exhibition. And <clears throat> so we used to go up to the peak, stay there for 10 minutes, and then we had to go down again where it was easier for us to breathe. And all I said to Liesl is we do breathing exercises because we were training on sea level, so we didn't have any exposure to um, high altitudes and stuff. And I just said to her, time to breathe. Breathe in for seven counts, and you hold it for four counts, and then you breathe out but hard, like pushing it out for eight counts. Because you have to like empty your lungs with all the oxygen that's in there to avoid AMS, that's altitude mountain syndrome. And we didn't get it. We always ate a little something and drank a lot of water. Um, so, and I also have just one kidney because I donated the other one in 2016. So besides that we were in this high altitude, I had to drink extra water to keep the other kidney working. So that was a real challenge, but it was awesome traveling in a foreign country with total foreigners, a different language, a different cuisine. We didn't eat meat on the um, whole exhibition. It was vegetarian and curry and chilies, which I'm not too particular fond of. <laughs> so in the morning I would tell them, is it curry or chili? They said to me, you can eat it. Toasted sandwiches with cheese on. And I thought, today I'm eating four slices. I think after one saw me, I was full because I was used to not eating. <laughs> but you get used to it. And, you know, whenever there was like boiled eggs next to the road for a tea snack, I took it and we ate a lot of sneakers. They fed us sneakers like you won't believe it. But it was still <laughs> I love chocolates. <laughs> so what was the total distance that you covered on that trip? 550 kilometers. It, it's not a lot, I know, but the um, altitude that we went up to made it something tremendous and absolutely amazing. So we still had the energy when we reached the top of Cardinal Law to lift our bike above our heads and just 
like the South African flag waving. That was really, really awesome. Now, for someone who doesn't really know about tandem cycling and how a visually impaired person operates on a tandem, can you just give us a brief description of how you and the guide work together on the bicycle? First of all, I'm sitting at the back. <clears throat> I, I'm the, the hard pedaling passenger. <laughs> I, I, I never backseat drive unless the gear is maybe too heavy or too um, light for me. Then I'll ask for a different gear. We have got two sets of chains. Um, my pedals are connected to the back wheel and to the front blades to do the, the different gearing. And then we've got another chain running from on our left side to the pilot that's a person sitting in front and our pedals are connected by this chain so we pedal at exactly the same speed and stuff so it's not one up and one down we're always um, on par with where our pedals are and you just have to follow and your fitness level or your expectations must be the same you can't, one mustn't say, I want to cycle 30 kilometers an hour and the next one said, no, I only want to do 20 kilometers because that's not going to work. You Before you get on that bike, you must decide, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and then it goes well. Does it take- I have never fought with my pilot. Sorry, just had to <clears throat> sip. I've never fought with my pilot because um, unless the gear is a bit too heavy, then I'll tell him or her, just make it a little bit lighter. But you get some of these people who fight on the bike and it's not necessary. You just always have good communication. I think that's the most important thing. Does it take a fair amount of time to get used to the pilots and yourself working together or does that happen quite quickly and easily? Um, because I cycle with so many different pilots with different types of events i get used to them quite easy i within the first two kilometers i see the person's style and then i adapt to that because it's very difficult for them to adapt to me because they in charge them front they do the gears the brakes and everything and so that's it sometimes pilot goes a bit too fast or too slow then i'll say can we put the tempo down a bit or lift it up a bit and then they'll tell me yes or no and off you go and that's awesome. So it really is about adjustment, accommodation and and communication. Yes, it's very much the same as dancing when a lady always have to adapt to the man's style and I think that's, I do a lot of dancing also and I think that's where it's easy for me to adapt to my pilot's style because I'm used to, you dance with this person, then the next song you dance with somebody else, it's a different style. So I think that makes it a lot easier for me to realize I have to adapt. Hmm, interesting. I've never thought about the the analogy of it be, cycling being like, like dancing, but I can see why. You've done other travels as well, if I'm correct? Yes. In um, <clears throat> 2015, I went and visit my daughter in Netherlands and we did a bit of a road trip through Europe. And I said to her, you know, it's pointless for me just going up for two weeks because she could only get two weeks leave. 
So I decided I'm going to go on my own to Istanbul and Prague. So I booked my flights, looked wherever I could get a cheap flight, booked a common um, assistance and I thought I want to mix with people because when you're in a hotel you don't mix with people so I stayed in a hostel and that was amazing because I met the most amazing people and my friends said to me oh these people love blondes and they're gonna abduct you and all this and that and I thought no I can't do this so I asked my friend if I can use a white cane so I went abroad using a white cane and I thought that will scare them off. No ways it didn't. <laughs> but, but it helped me a lot. Because I was alone, I couldn't speak the language. I would tell them when I got to the station, I need to buy a ticket. Um, can they assist me with the machine? And then the guy said, there. Then I said, I can't see. And he said, oh. He says, wait. Then I wait. And then he comes back and he tells me, he gives me a name. And he says, this person will take you where you need to be. And I will tell them I have to buy a ticket, say, from where I am to Taxim Square, because that's where I had to be every time. That was my central point, my closest point. And they just arranged for somebody, a total stranger, to take me wherever I had to be. And we get to the next station and get off the train and get the connecting train. He would just take me by my elbow and we would walk and up onto the next train. And when I got to my final destination. He said, we go this way. I said to him, no, I'm going this way. And I thought, I'm so scared. <laughs> I was talking to this man. And and I thought, what does he think? What does he expect from me now? <laughs> and I thought, no, I'm going the other way. And I just went back to my hostel. And But it was safe. Even <clears throat> I flew from Istanbul with assistance to um Athens and I had a connecting flight in Athens and there I flew to Prague and when I got to Prague I thought okay now I'm on my own again took out my cane and I said to I have to go to this place and I showed them the name and they said okay you have to walk there 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 and catch a bus <clears throat> I thought okay we will walk there 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 and catch a bus um I didn't know of all the fancy apps that could GPS me or this or that so my, my daughter um, <clears throat> print, well, she sent me it and I printed it out in large print so I could read it. And so I took my page and I thought, okay, I have to walk up to this street. And I sit with my piece of paper and I check the street, go and stand right underneath the street name. My sight was still a little bit better then. So, okay, this looks like this street and I'll go here. And people would see me battling and they said where do I need to go so now I have to take this bus okay now you come with us we will take you and people just took me strangers took me and helped me and that made me realize that the world out there are really accommodating of visually impaired people they assisted me a lot I tried to do things on my own sometimes I would get it right and sometimes I don't then I would get assistance from total strangers. And that was really amazing. It really made my travel exciting and took the edge of that challenge away. That made it a little bit more better for me. 
I can imagine that sounds like quite an experience. So if we look then in your travels, what are the types of things that you've encountered that have been challenges for you and how have you managed to work your way around them? Um, <clears throat> the, the assistance you have on the airport, so I didn't ask for, didn't get assistance outside of the airport and, and I used public transport. And like I said, um, I didn't use any apps I didn't know there were, I think there wasn't apps available in 2015 when I went. Um, so it, it was really difficult for me, but I made sure that I had the exact address, always make sure that I have the exact address. Um, and I would ask people, where do I catch the bus? And sometimes they wouldn't understand me. And um, then I would ask somebody else or I'll show them where I need to go and then they would assist me. And I think walking with a cane in Istanbul and Prague um, totally on my own made the world's difference for me because if I, I think if I didn't have that cane, people wouldn't understand um, that I, I'm visually impaired. And I think that made my life really, really easier. But today there are awesome apps that you can download you can GPS with um, walking. I haven't used any of them yet, but I think that can make life so much easier for um, visually impaired people to travel on their own. You're so right. And I mean, I, there's a large number of apps that are specifically designed as to be accessible to those with, with visual impairments. And I'm playing with some of them, trying to find which one I like best. And I think in some ways it's better to try them out in my home environment, to find what I like, so that if I do need one when I'm traveling, I already know how it operates. So I'll be curious to chat to you at a later date and kind of check in to see how you're doing with the, the GPS apps. That will be awesome. I think also to try it when you are at home, if you get lost, you won't go into a flat spin and say, what's happening now? At least you'll still know your way around, especially, you know, in like Cape Town where it's busy and there's lots of people and stuff. And I think if you use the app and you get lost, then you still can make your way back where you need to be. Oh, absolutely. I'll also try that. <laughs> we'll, we'll connect later on and see, see how we're doing. <laughs> So, Cindy, if you were to speak to a service provider who wants to make their offerings more accessible for someone with your disability, where should they start? What advice would you give them? To train their staff how to handle a person with a disability. The other day I was walking with my cane and I went into... Um, and when I got to the reception area, walking with my cane, I said to the lady, I need to go to floor nine, let's say that. And she said to me, please complete the form. I said to her, sorry, I can't, I'm visually impaired. And I showed her my cane and she just looked at me and she kept on talking to somebody else. And I said, excuse me, can you please complete the form? Here's all my details. I gave her my, my ID card. And they just looked at me. I think they didn't know what to do 
what to expect. And I think it would be easier for us, especially in the travel industry and any building or company that people go to, any service provider, that first um, contact you have with the reception or the security, that they can assist you to complete the form, take your details, and just usher you to the lift. Some of the um, service providers I go to, they take me up to the floor. they like amazing because I think they have been trained accordingly. Even people in wheelchairs, they tell them, oh, you've got to go through there. Then it's a turnstile. How can they go through? I think it's just a little bit to be more sensitive to people with disabilities and to treat us equal and fair with a bit of assistance. I think the staff training is a very important part of any service provider if they are wanting to work with, with people of different abilities and and a diverse um, customers. So I think that's some great yeah. advice. What if you mustn't make assumptions because when, as soon as I tell them I can't see, they will give me a braille menu or a piece of braille paper and I tell them I can't read braille. They, they make assumptions. I can't see. I have to be able to read braille. <laughs> so, so that's another thing. They mustn't make assumptions. <laughs> I think there's there's a, a conversation yeah. that, that we need to have to explain to people what it is that we need because visual impairment is a spectrum. And there's an assumption that if you are visually impaired, it means you are, like me, totally blind, where in fact many people have a level of residual sight. And that, I think, can confuse yes. a service provider who doesn't think about that. So those assumptions really do play a very important part in any engagement with someone with a disability. Going back to your travels, what is your favorite experience that you've had on your travels? The most scariest one was in Istanbul. It was the end of Ramadan and we they had all these festivals and things and I went down to the square where everything was happening and I wanted to go back to my accommodation. And I walked because I remember I made myself landmarks, the bus route. I walked and I walked and suddenly it's like I'm in the dungeons and I thought this is not where I live. Turned around, walked back, start again. And I think... I got so scared. I went into a shop and I asked him, where is this place where they can assist me? And they didn't, couldn't help me. Then a police officer came that could speak a little bit of English and he couldn't understand. And my hostel card didn't have the address on, so nobody could assist me. So I could tell him there's a, there's a certain type of shop on the corner so that, and, and the bus route. So that kept me walking down this road but it, it wasn't the right one and I think by the fifth time it was like 12 o'clock at night then because I was walking up and down the square because it's a round square you, you get totally lost and um, I walked past this hotel and the um, connoisseur standing outside the door asked me if he could help me because he said he saw me walking past here a number of times I said yes I don't know where my accommodation is. So he said to me, come with me. So I went in. He took me to a reception and they asked me my 
hostel card and I showed it to them, but there was no address on. So they asked me, how did I make the booking? So I said, on the internet. So they went on the internet and they found my accommodation. They asked, showed me a picture and I asked me if I could see and I said, yes, this is it. And they asked one of the other hotel staff to walk with me and to take me there. And instead of walking, I can't remember what, east, I was walking west on the bus route. And it took me right to my accommodation. And I was like five meters away. Then I could hear, ping, I went on the Wi-Fi and I said, I'm here, I'm here. And it was <laughs> such a relief because I think I walked about 10 kilometers that night. Oh my God. Just to get, no, I wasn't, I wasn't living far from Taksim Square. It was like about a kilometer and it wasn't bad for me to walk there. I'm, I'm used to walking a lot. And I walked up and down, up and down that whole time, but to the wrong side of the town. And I think just that little bit, that relief that I could get to my accommodation. Because if that person didn't help me, I would never, never have gotten my accommodation. I would have been stuck in Istanbul with nothing. <laughs> so that was my favorite story to tell people how I got lost and saved by the people that was just, just that, that saw me, that, that I was battling and not doing the normal thing, walking up and down the same path. So for about five times. It's it's an interesting story because it talks a lot about the ability or the need to be able to problem solve. When you are in a situation, you've got to find a way out of that situation. And I think that is something that if we encounter challenges when we're traveling, we do need to be able to figure out what our options are, what our alternatives are. But it's great to know that people are willing to offer to help and to be that, you know, to be able to give that much assistance to help someone like us who are visually impaired. So that was that's a lovely story to share. Thank you. And, and that's what I also, like I said earlier, always make sure you have the address where you need to be yeah. on a piece of paper or on a card or something. Because you, you take it for granted that your access card to your accommodation has the address on. Yeah. But this didn't have it on. So I was really bamboozled. I, I just couldn't get to my accommodation. And I think that was my first day in Istanbul that taught me a lesson. I wrote the address down and I had it there in my bag with me. And I thought, this is it just has to be with me all the time. And I think that is important because I had my home address with me. If something happened to me, people knew who to contact. But I thought, I'm here now in a strange place. I must actually have my address because the people don't always speak English. And what what could I have done then? So yeah. it was really, really a scary situation. I, I would go even one step further and say the address and contact number for the yeah. accommodation is a very important thing to have. Yeah. Yeah, sure. A good lesson to have learned, and thankfully not one that had any negative um, consequences. So, as you said, a good lesson to have learned. Cindy, if people would like to contact you, how can they do that? They're more than welcome to um, get me on Facebook. It's Cindy Jacobs, Jacobs with an S and a Z at the end. J-A-C-O-B-S-Z, 
or they can contact me on um, email cindyjacobs22 at gmail.com and it's all smalls it's c-i-n-d-y j-a-c-o-b-s-z at gmail.com that's great thank you very much as a final question then what advice would you give to someone who is visually impaired who is wanting to travel but is a little bit nervous about doing so why should they travel it's an experience it's the most amazing experience if you are totally blind you use your other senses your, your smells your hearing just the cuisine your taste buds and people will tell you what there is to be seen and to experience and so and never be scared to move around take a companion if you can and go and see the world the world is your oyster it is amazing to experience everything and and the people out there in the foreign world where we want to go are very accommodating towards people with disabilities now and then you'll get somebody that won't assist you but they are in the minority and it is such a great experience to see people and people will come up to you and tell you i've got a somebody who's also visually impaired and they will tell you about them and they have also done this or they haven't done that and you must go and do things never be scared i have done the transpavillons it was a cycling experience and i just did it and i thought that was my first actually mountain bike experience and people said aren't you scared to go down those mountains and it was going to be at night time where i could see nothing and i said no i trust my pilot and i trust in my lord and that was how we did it and i went out there with no expectations but to be safe and to have fun and just enjoy it oh, and i think that's the message i would like to give to people to be safe and to have fun and enjoy it <laughs> a lovely message thank you so much cindy Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we've been chatting to Cindy Jacobs, who's done a fair amount of travel and is also a triathlete. And maybe at some stage we should chat to her about that as well. But that will have to wait for a different episode of the podcast. Cindy, thank you so much for all you've shared with the listeners today. It's been really great chatting to you. having the opportunity of chatting to Cindy Jacobs and I hope you enjoyed the interview and listening to some of her travel adventures. Now it's time for the Travel Tech Corner. This is a segment where we introduce travelers with disabilities to electronic devices that can assist them in their travels. And as in the last two months, we're meeting again with Gerard and Zoe from Edit Microsystems an assistive technology company based in Cape Town in South Africa. Welcome, Zoe and Gerard. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you very much. So what device are we going to be talking about this week? 
So we thought um, we'd, we'd shift focus a little bit um, and we thought we'd focus um, on a device that might facilitate persons with hearing impairments. Um, and so today we've got the Sonic Alert, which is essentially a little uh, alarm clock, but it is pocket size and perfect for travel. And what does the device do? Is it, it Does it do any features beyond being an alarm clock or is it... Is that its primary function? So primary function, yes, an alarm clock. But um, obviously for when you're considering persons with uh, hearing impairments, the uh, very loud, annoying noise uh, that we usually get when we wake up in the morning is not always sufficient uh, for a person with a hearing impairment. So it's got a built-in vibration feature. And I'm going to actually just try to turn it on now to see if you might get a little bit of an idea of, of, of what it would sound like. Or, hear, or feel like, I guess, sound and feel. Hold on, here we go. So that's while I'm pushing it down. It goes far more when I've actually got it on full setting. So in other words, while we're hearing a fair amount of um, sound from the alarm clock as it buzzes against the, the tabletop there, someone who's hearing impaired would also be able to get a touch or a haptic response that they could respond to. Exactly that. So it, it, it tends to jump quite a bit. Um, and, and Gerard noted to me, he said, well, what, what happens if it falls off the table surface that it's on? Because that's that's quite possible. And then you might it not It's very jumpy. Yeah, it's, it's quite jumpy. <laughs> um, and so I pointed out actually that it's got a little um, a little cord um, with a, an attachment that you hook on, sort of a little bite that you would hook onto a sheet. So, I, so you could put that then onto your um, bedside table, but it could still be attached to a sheet or something so that it doesn't fall right off of the table if that was going to be a concern. Okay, my, my kind of impression was that it might be something that um, someone with a hearing impairment might put under a pillow or perhaps in a pocket in their pyjamas or something like that. Is that an option as well, would you say? Most certainly, most, most certainly. You know, this, um, so it's very sturdy. And yeah, I think maybe if I describe the size, um, so, I mean, you can, you could put it quite easily under your pillow and it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, unease or wouldn't, wouldn't make any, um, unpleasant, uh, feelings while sleeping, but basically it's about, uh, I can hold it in the palm of my hand. So it's smaller than a CD. Um, it's, uh, about maybe two inches in thickness and five centimeters diameter. diameter. Um, so you can literally pop it in your pocket as well. Um, so nice to carry around as well. You know, this device sounds so amazing. My 82-year-old aunt was traveling overseas recently to visit her grandchildren. And she was very concerned because she is slightly hearing impaired. She was very concerned that she wouldn't wake up in time to go and catch her um, early morning flight. So something like this would be an ideal situation for her. Exactly that. And I think that's that's probably one of the biggest concerns when traveling. It's not it's not just to, you know, to, to wake up and, and maybe miss your your tour or your plans for the day, but but really it's those things. It's your bus, it's your train, 
you don't want to make uh, make an error and miss those because that can be quite costly and also leave you in, in quite a precarious situation. Not to mention add to your anxiety. Well, that's absolutely it. And I'm just thinking, you know, travel is one solution or one area that um, this device could be very useful. But it, of course, has far wider reaching everyday applications as well. Mm. Definitely. So if people were interested in finding out more information about the device, how can they contact you and, and give us some of those details? Gerard always does it so nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, uh, this time I'm going to give Zoe's details. The telephone number is still the same, uh, 021-433-2520. Um, or you can email Zoe on zoe at editsmicro.co.z. Z-O-E, and then edit micro, E-D as in education, I-T as in information technology, and then micro, M-I-C-R-O dot And you can also, of course, contact me. That's Gerard, G-E-R-H-A-R-D, at editmicro.co.za. And as with the other devices where we're partnering with Edit Microsystems, we do request that if you do approach them for more information, that you let them know that you did come to them through the podcast by simply quoting the reference code ASA when you contact them. And there will be a slight little surprise discount in there, up to 0.5%. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. It's always great chatting to Zoe and Gerard from Edit Microsystems. Just one minor correction. We gave an email address to contact Edit Microsystems in that segment. We ask that you rather use the email address info at editmicrosystems.co.za. And don't forget to use the reference ASA when you email them. Now it's time for this episode's travel quote. I'm someone who loves reading books, and I particularly enjoy reading books about cities or countries that I'm planning to visit, because it gives me some insights into the places, the history, the people, the stories of those places. But no matter how much I read, somehow visiting the place itself is another question entirely. This travel quote is an Asian proverb that says, Better to see something once than hear about it a thousand times. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of A Different Way of Travelling. We really hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to meeting you again next time. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at AccessibleSouthAfrica.co.za On Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa and on Twitter at Accessible SA You can also email us at podcast at AccessibleSouthAfrica.co.za Editing by Craig Strachan Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow based on a motif by Lois Strachan Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on a different way of traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.